0: You're listening to the Restoration Church Bible Study. Join us each week as Gloria Lee takes us verse by verse through the Old Testament. All right, so now today we are going to do chapters 4 and 5 of Nehemiah. And since it's been a week since we've met, I'm going to go just a little bit over what we learned last time two weeks ago. And that was mainly in chapter 3 of Nehemiah. And this chapter showed us that believers have to work together to accomplish something. There has to be unity. Uh, the wall was, had to be continuous. You couldn't have any gaps, but it was a continuous need for the work to be done together. The work was done uh, as a reflection on the family in here because everyone that we talked about was the son of someone else. And so, and they listed that. And then there was all this evidence of Nehemiah's leadership and how he made each man be accountable for one section of the wall. And he held them accountable to do that work. Uh, He had maximum efficiency planned for the people. And it all worked around the gates because that was the most important part of the wall, that's where people could come in. And do harm to them, so they worked around the gates, the most needful part. He knew where to start, and he started off in that chapter talking about the priests doing the work on the wall, which is really interesting because they were the ones that we thought, you know, priests shouldn't have to build a wall, but they did. And so we started with them, and then when they built something, they consecrated it to the Lord, always, and so that that was a unique thing. And he was willing to let people try new things. We had goldsmiths, and we had perfumers building the wall. My goodness, think about that. Uh, and, and he also had the people think about their own home first. Don't neglect <laughs> your home. Get it strengthened up. And he didn't disqualify people because of their past sin. Uh, if they had repented... Come on, work on this wall with us. So now let's start with chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. But it so happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish stones that have been burned? And now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, "Whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their strong wall." What a curse! So, yes, a fox. Mean, So Sanballat and Tobiah, they were furious, they were indignant, and they they tried to use scorn and intimidation to prevent the work of the wall from even getting started. And then they, they mocked the Jews, and it probably went something like this. Will they seek God through sacrifice and expect him to miraculously build the wall? Will they pray the walls up? Do they have any idea what they're taking on? Now, this wasn't an easy project, uh, and they didn't have all the good materials that they needed to do it. But Sambalot and Tobias sought to bring discouragement through criticism. And discouragement is a very powerful weapon. it Uh, It is sometimes the opposite of faith. So where faith believes God and his love and promises, discouragement looks for, and believes the worst. So Tobiah made a huge mistake when he talked about their wall because it wasn't their wall. It was God's wall. God's the one that wanted them to do it. And in the same way, this church is God's church. And we always need to be careful not to say anything about the bride of Christ. Glorious bride of Christ is the church. So... We work differently under faith than we do discouragement. We talk differently under faith than we do discouragement. Oh yeah. We read the word and study and understand it differently through faith than discouragement. I so we need to have that uh we need to have that faith all the time and not be discouraged. And it's so easy to, to get discouraged. I mean when you get sick and you don't feel good and you get You're discouraged, and you just—I know um, a lot of times when we're sick at our house, we put on some praise music. Mm -mm. That builds your faith, you know, and we pray for one another when we're sick, too, but trying to keep that discouragement down. So it's no wonder why Satan works so hard to discourage us because it keeps us from having faith that we need. And how can he he get to you? Through your body.
1: That's right.
0: And, yeah. and it seems like each of us maybe have their own special place. It used to be my throat. I would get a sore throat more than anything else. And somebody else, it might be they would get a headache or their earache or whatever. But Satan knows where our weaknesses are in our bodies. Verse 4 and 5. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads... And give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity. And do not let their sin be blotted out from before you. For they have provoked you to anger before the builders. Now, what a prayer. I think I'd be afraid to pray that one. I don't know. I I read that and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, don't cover their iniquity and don't blot out their sin, you know. But anyway, this was the prayer that Nehemiah prayed, went to God first and asked for God's attention, and God's mercy on him, and then he asked God to battle. You do the battle, God. We're not going to do it. And you know, this prayer seems pretty tough, and it is a tough yeah, prayer, yeah. but in the Psalms, we have some other prayers that are pretty tough, too. So let's read those. Psalm 58, 6. That's mine. Now, this one's a tough prayer. Listen to this. It says, break their teeth, O God, in their mouth. <laughs> break out the great teeth of young lions, O Lord. Okay, so he's saying, break out their teeth. Okay. He didn't, uh, have, he didn't have any mercy. <laughs> Tons no. of mercy. In the teeth. Uh, All right, let's see what Psalm sixty nine twenty five says. Let their habitation be desolate, and let none dwell in their tents. Okay, don't even let them have a place to live. Make 'em I mean, make them homeless. Make them homeless. Make them homeless. They weren't playing. That's right. So these are just two samples of of. Um, prayers in the psalm that are really tough okay but if we're angry with somebody let's say or if we have a real enemy then what we can do is go at them with prayer and let god do what he wants to do with them it's his problem it's not our problem just let god do it so that people yeah <laughs> if you make somebody angry, just say, God, your will. Do what you would, Would we would. Right. If you want to break their teeth out, okay. <laughs> Whatever you want to do. Make them homeless? <laughs> God, Whatever you want to do. <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> but no. Neh- Nehemiah's prayer does give us, give God a reason to show mercy. He can show mercy to his, to our enemies. Right. You know, he can do that. Sometimes we um, won't go Old Testament, huh? <laughs> Well, that's what people don't understand about God. He is merciful, but He is a judge. Yes, He is a judging God. Yes, judge He is. God. God. And he's yes, so he is. Judged, but they just oh, He's so sweet and loving. Yes, He is. But, but he don't is. get on His side. And yeah, that's don't right. push it too far. <laughs> that's right. Mm-hmm. All right, verse six. So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. So God answered the prayer by giving them all a mind to work. Everybody wanted to work. They wanted to get it done. Now, Satan wants us to feel defeated. And he wants us to feel discouraged and passive and, and self-focused so we don't do what God wants us to do. So uh, critics demoralize, but leaders encourage. And Nehemiah was that kind of a leader. Verse seven and eight. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry. Now they just not they were furious before. Now they're very angry, and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. So as the work progressed on this wall, the enemies threatened and planned violence, but the strange thing was it was just words. They didn't attack. They just talked about it, thinking, well, if we just tell them we're going to attack, then maybe they won't even start it or maybe they'll quit. That's a bully. And that's right. And hoping that that was just going to be enough. So that's what Satan comes to us. He wants to create confusion among the people of God, and he wants to confuse people so that we'll never get anything done. That's what he does. That's what happens in a lot of churches. Yes, it is. And they don't accomplish anything. Right. Verse 9, Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God, and because of them we set a watch against them day and night. So because of the words of Sambalot and Tobiah and all the others threatening them, they decided to set a watch. And they depend on God. They were still depending on God through prayer. But they did use willing servants of God to be a watch on the wall until it was finished. Verse 10, Then Judah said, The strength of the laborers is failing. And there is no so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. Now, Judah, that tribe was the strongest tribe. It was the bravest tribe. And here they're saying, we've got some problems. We're only halfway done, but we've got problems. And remember, that was also the tribe that, where all the great kings came from and where the Messiah came from. So that halfway point in doing anything is a dangerous place. It's kind of hard to get over that hump, that halfway hump. Uh, Much remained to be done, but they were tired. They had been working on this wall, and it was halfway there, and they were going, oh, how can we ever get any further? So, you know, the rebuilding of these walls was not only construction, but it was also (coughs) demolishing all the old rubbish that had been there for a 100 years. And they had to get rid of all that. You have to get rid of that before you can build something new. It's a lot easier to build something new than carry away the old. That's even in prayer. It's easier. Yes, they didn't have that. And so that was a hard part. Verse 11, And our adversary said, They will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them, And cause the work to cease. So this is Tobiah Sanballat, the enemy, saying this. So they planned to have a raid on the workers and to kill them so that they could not rebuild this wall. And, you know, our enemy knows when we're tired and discouraged and all that. And they know that the only way to get us to stop serving God many times is kill us. That's what the enemy wants to do, just kill us. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Mm -hmm. That's what the scripture says. So verse 12, So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us ten times, From wherever place you turn, they will be upon us. So the enemies didn't know that there were some faithful Jews living real close to them and heard their plot to kill the workers. And so the Jews that overheard it were the informants, and they repeated this over and over again. An attack is coming. It's all real. They're going to defeat us. They're going to kill us. Now, this word 10 in here doesn't mean that they just repeated it 10 times. This is just uh, a figure of speech saying they repeated it over and over again. And he just said they repeated it 10 times. Many times they repeated it. Verse 13 and 14. Therefore, I positioned men behind the lowest parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. So Nehemiah commanded them to bring out the armor. It's time to get serious. Bring out your weapons, your armor. Greater is he that is in them than he that is in the world. That's, that was that same type thing. And they needed to be ready to fight whenever they had to fight. And use anything that they could use. So the challenge was there. But there was not any reason Nehemiah said to fear. Don't be afraid. We're going to be all right. So verse 15. And it happened. When our enemies heard that it was known to us. And that God had brought their plot to nothing. That all of us returned to the wall. Everyone to his work. So once they saw the defenses of the people of God, the enemies saw that, they slunk back where they came from. And they didn't want a battle because they knew that they would not win the battle, that it would be the Lord's battle. So defending the wall was not the victory because the people of God uh, wouldn't, would be at, not be at peace or security until the wall was completely built. But getting on with the work was a victory because they had been So many things had come against them to try not to let them do that. Verse 16 through 18. And so it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held their spears, shields, bows, and wore armor. And the leaders were behind all of the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built, and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. So some of the servants did the work, some of them just carried uh, weapons, but all of them always had a sword by their side, and many of them that worked had a trowel in one hand and a spear in the other one while they were working. So um, 19 through 23. um, Then I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there our God will fight for us so we labored in the work and half of the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared at the same time I said also said to the people let each man and his servants stay at night in Jerusalem that they may be our guard by night and a working party by day So neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off their clothes, except that everyone took them off for washing. In other words, they slept in their clothes. They just never took, they always wanted to be ready, always ready. Now, the trumpet was a a kind of communication. The city was big enough to where they couldn't just, yell at one another across the way. So they had a trumpet, and he said, whenever you hear that trumpet, you come to wherever you hear it because there's a problem, and we need everybody over there to help us fight at that problem. So they would never be caught off guard. And they, it says they worked hard from sunrise to past dark, even spending the night on the job to protect from attack. So um, they were always ready. Any questions or comments about this chapter, this end of this chapter? It's almost like the opposition caused them to get more work done. <laughs> that's, that's true. That's true. You know, true. really? That is true. 50, and he did it, what, 52 days or was it 54? 52. 52 days. So 52 days. That could have been part of it. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Let's go to chapter 5, verse 1. And there was a great outcry of the people and their wives against the Jewish brethren. Now, chapter 4, we ended up with this note of victory. Everything was going well, and the people of God were doing it. And even if they had all these obstacles, they were still doing a great job. And they worked with the sword in one hand, trowel in the other hand. And they wouldn't let the enemy stop them. But in this chapter 5, there's no mention of working on the wall at this point, indicating that the work had stopped. So the work had stopped because of strife among God's people. That's what happens when we have strife among God's people. So the enemy could not stop the work of God by direct attack, but the work stopped when God's people weren't unified and working together. So this verse means that one group was fighting against another group. And so when we fight one another, we don't get anything done. Verse 2 through 5, And there were those who said, We, our sons and our daughters, are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. There were also some who said, We have mortgaged our lands and vineyards and houses that we might buy grain because of the famine. There were also those who said, We have borrowed money from the king's tax on our land and vineyards. Yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children. And indeed, we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have been brought into slavery. It is not in our power to redeem them, for other men have our lands and our vineyards. So they were in a bad place. No money, couldn't buy grain had to sell their children into slavery to get enough to eat. Now, Nehemiah is not primarily a book about money. Um, it's a book about rebuilding and bringing God's people into peace and security, but money directly affected the rebuilding work here. Most of the most of the time building problems with money means you don't have enough money. Well, that That really wasn't the thing here, um, because the building of everything seemed to be paid for by the king, King Artaxerxes. So um, Nehemiah's money problem was different because it harmed the unity of the people. People had money problems because they worked hard on the walls and they didn't have time to work to get money for their food, for their families. Uh, People had money problems because there was a famine, and everything was very expensive at that time. Kind of sounds like how we are here today. Mm -hmm. But it was so expensive that some people had to mortgage their property to provide food for themselves. People had money problems because the government kept taxing them, even though they weren't working as much. They still had to pay the same amount of tax. And then people had money problems because the loans that they had taken out were due and some were in default. So some had to give their children as servants to the leaders in Jerusalem to pay off their debt. And... Later on, we're going to see that the rich were taking advantage of the crisis to make money off the poor people. And they were charging 12% interest from them, 12% interest. You know, sometimes we want to separate what we do from money with our walk with God, but we can't really do that. It's a huge deception from Satan. Buying a house is a spiritual decision. Getting a new job is a spiritual decision. I know that was for you. Um, choosing a career, deciding what what we're going to do with our money, all those are spiritual decisions. And it matters directly with your walk with God what you do with your money. So... Um, Money problems are rarely only money problems, though. Usually there's something underneath there that is really the real problem. Uh, We often think, if I just had some more money, I could do this, I would be okay, I wouldn't have any more problems. You look at people who won the lotto or you won houses or something like that, and then you go back and you read about them five years or 10 years later, They're back where they started. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing. If you don't know how to take care of your money when you have a small amount, you're not going to know how to do it when you have a large amount. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be squandered. Verse 6. And I became very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. So Nehemiah got angry because of these money problems were caused mostly because of the greed of those who wanted to profit off of the people who didn't have that much money. Who has Exodus twenty-two twenty-five? I do. <clears throat> Would you read it? If you lend money to any of my people who are poor among you, you shall not be like the money lender to him. You shall not charge him interest. Okay. This is a law of Moses. And Moses said it was wrong. To lend money at unreasonable high interest rates. Well, their interest rate was twelve percent. Pretty high. I guess banks never heard of that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, our, what is ours? Almost seven. <laughs> okay. Nehemiah became angry because these money problems led to the disunity of the people of God. And remember that we had people in Jerusalem building the wall, but we had all people from surrounding areas in Judah building the wall. And so they came in and built the wall also. So the unity was the most important thing rather than the amount of money. And in, at, at this point, no mention is, is made of building on the wall. Everything had stopped. Everything. So he got angry. Nehemiah got angry because the work had stopped, and it must have frustrated him that you know he, they could be so strong and then all of a sudden they have this problem. Verse seven through eleven. After serious thought, I rebuked the nobles and rulers and said to them, "Each of you is extracting usury from his brother." So I called a great assembly against them. And I said to them, According to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren who were sold to the nations. That means the Jews had been sold and they redeemed them by buying them back. Now, indeed, will you even sell your brethren or should they be sold to us? And then they were silenced. And found nothing to say. Then I said, what you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? I also with my brethren and my servants am lending them money and grain. Please let us stop this usury. Restore now to them, even this day, their lands, their vineyards, their olive groves, and their houses. Also, a hundredth of the money and the grain, the new wine and the oil that you have charged them. So, here we see that they have even taken some of their houses. They had taken some of their property. My goodness, the people were, no wonder they Stopped working on the wall. didn't want to. They didn't have anything to eat. They didn't have a place to live, anything to get anything from. So in verse 7, there are several points I want to uh, bring up. After serious thought. So before we rebuke somebody, we need to have really serious thought about it. And, of course, this is great leadership for Nehemiah. He was a man of passion. But he could get angry, and so he cooled down first before he said anything. He was wise enough to do that. And he, he said in verse 7, I rebuke the nobles and the rulers, but he was not a coward. And he came right out to them and told them, You're wrong. You were wrong. And he told them the truth. He told them what was happening because of that. And so uh, we can judge that he must have told the truth in love because they didn't get angry apparently and then another thing in there is that each of you is extracting usury from your brother and the bible says it's wrong if somebody has a financial need if somebody has needs money for their basic needs we need to give them that money Mm -hmm. we don't need to charge them interest to get something to get that money get food for them and not loan anything at interest loaning money for interest is something that you want that's not essential then you can charge interest but if it's something that's essential like food, you need to give it to them so um, in verse 9 there's a few other things should you not walk in the fear of our God so this is where many business deals go wrong Many people who have business deals, I just want to see how much money I can make. You know, that's that's the end line. It's not walking in the fear of God. Is it going to hurt somebody? Is it illegal? Is it anything like that? So um, not if it's right or wrong. They just don't think that way. And then verse 11 says, restore now to them, even this day, today, I want you to give them back their money. And he wasn't acting, asking the nobles to feel bad or just stop what they were doing. They had to set it right. They had to set it right. If money was charged unfairly, it had to be given back. Verse 12 through 13. So they said, we will restore it. And we'll require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And then I called the priests and required an oath from them that they would do according to this promise. Then I shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out each man from his house and from his property who does not perform this promise. Even thus may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen, and praise the Lord. Then the people did according to this promise. Now, this was good. This was a good thing that happened. And Nehemiah apparently told the truth in love so that they would do it. But, and, you know, their actions had to be followed by do actually doing it. He knew words were not enough. Sometimes... Well, most of the time, words are meaningless unless you have some action behind it. Mm -hmm. And so it says they required an oath. So they made them have an oath saying that they would do it. And an oath in that day, if you made an oath, it became written down. It was a public record. It had to be done. It's Mm -hmm. not like, you know, we make an oath today Mm -hmm. and then, okay, we'll We may do it or we may not do it. But this was a public record. Verse 14 through 18. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year until the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the governor's provisions but the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine besides forty shekels of silver. Yes, even their servants bore rule over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. Indeed, I also continued the work on this wall, and we did not buy any land, all my servants were gathered there for the work. So in saying that last part, he had an opportunity to buy land um, or to to get uh, any kind of money back from the people, but he didn't do it. <coughs> he said, we were here to work. So he had this great example here of putting the work of God ahead of his personal interests. Um, He certainly had a right to tax them uh, because he was supporting them, but he didn't do that. And he didn't take more from the government. You know, King Artaxerxes said, okay, I'll give you supplies to work. He gave them wood. Remember that they brought back from the forest. And he gave them provisions. But Nehemiah, didn't ask for any more provisions than what he said he'd do. And then what he did, he gave that away. Um, let's look in verses 17 and 18. And at my table were 150 Jews and rulers, besides those who came to us from the nation around us, those that came from the outer outside of Jerusalem. He had 150 people at his table every day. Now that which was prepared daily was one ox, six choice sheep, also fowl was prepared for me, and once every 10 days an abundance of all kinds of wine. Yet in spite of this, I did not demand the governor's provisions because the bondage was heavy on this people. So he not only didn't take what he could have taken, he gave when he didn't need to give. And so he received a lot of food from the king that he had been promised, but he gave it away. Um, What Nehemiah did was he set an example. He told the people what they should do, but he set that example himself. And he set a standard for himself that he would not go against. And that was, I'm not going to do anything wrong to these people. I'm not going to take from them. I'm going to give to them. I'm not going to do anything, expect anything more of them than what I wouldn't do myself. I think about that when I see Bob up here working. And know, he doesn't expect everybody else to work and him not. Kim doesn't expect us to work when she's not up here working. You know, that's the way a leader should be. Verse 19, remember me, my God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. Now, here he's saying this to God, this part of his prayer. Remember me, O God, for good that I have done. Now, some think that Nehemiah went too far bragging on himself here. Um, Jesus taught us that our good works, are not done to show others how spiritual you are, would you read Matthew 6, 1? Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them, otherwise you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Okay. <laughs> we go, oops. Up, However, the commentator says in this prayer, Nehemiah, did not look for praise from man, he looked for praise from God. In fact, this whole book of Nehemiah was written probably, they think, as a diary. It was something, and when you look, go back and look how it was written, you can see, oh, this day we did this and this happened. It it was written as a diary, and he didn't know anybody would even read it. He had no idea it would become a book of, a the, book of the scriptures, mm-hmm. and so it, that That's kind awesome. of explains why he maybe had those prayers that were you know that we I think are a little bit different try. than what we would pray <laughs> but um. Uh, Maybe he thought his his works and his prayers were private and would never be seen or read by somebody else. But anyway, that is the end of that chapter. So any comments or questions? That was great. <laughs> okay. Nehemiah was an excellent leader. Yeah, he was an excellent Okay. Thank you for listening to the Restoration Church Podcast. If you would like to watch our message live or looking for more information about our church, visit us. Follow us on Facebook, Restoration Church.